Welcome to a pivotal moment in tennis history, a moment we are living and witnessing right now. Today, we stand on the brink of a revolution, not just in how the game is played, but how it's understood. Five years ago, when we embarked on this project, we anticipated changes, but what's unfolding is far more dramatic and more powerful than we ever imagined. Gone are the days of solely relying on impressionistic methods and the opinions of tennis gurus. We are now in an era where every shot, every point, and every strategic decision is transformed by the unyielding power of data analytics. This isn't just a change, it's a seismic shift that is redefining the very essence of tennis as we know it. As we experience these monumental changes firsthand, we invite you to join us on this groundbreaking journey. Together, let's discover how data analytics is not just influencing, but revolutionizing the world of tennis. So the Arts of Winning is brought to you by Sterling Strother and Dan Travis. This podcast is dedicated to shedding light on the new era of tennis. It looks at the completely new areas and realms of possibility that this era presents us with. Primarily, we examine the battles that will be fought as the player develops competitive intelligence. We ask you to subscribe to the podcast, both on the channels, Apple, Spotify, and Amazon, and subscribe directly to us by visiting www.artofwinningtennis.com. We can help you negotiate your way around this tremendously exciting new era in tennis. Okay, welcome to today's podcast, which is entitled, What's the Problem? We will explore a crucial yet often overlooked aspect of the game, the power of strong problem framing. We'll examine the common challenges faced by coaches and players alike, such as the trap of focusing solely on technique and physicality, while neglecting the significance of a point-by-point strategic approach. Join us as we dissect these issues and propose innovative solutions. Whether you're a budding player, a seasoned coach, or just a tennis enthusiast, this episode is set to serve up a fresh perspective on a very important topic, how do we improve? So good morning, Dan. Good morning. Dan, what is the problem? I think the the problem is threefold. And first is that you don't know what the problem is. That's the first problem. Second, even if you know what the problem is, well, what do you do about it? And you have a movement between those two, well, the, sorting out what the problem is and what you do about that problem. They're kind of interlinked. And then you've got a third aspect to the problem. How do we create an upward spiral of improvement? And ideally, you want to get there. You want to kind of look at all three and you can then create this upward improvement spiral. Okay, great. So what is the problem or why is the problem never addressed? Because I think most people get the first part. They don't understand what the problem is. They get that very wrong. So they don't just misunderstand it, Sterling. 
right? Or they don't just know what it is. They get it wrong. They misdiagnose. They come up with another problem. And to a man, they've got, they've got no idea what the problem is. And I don't mean that in a, in a cruel way, right? I'm, I'm not saying that people are anyway stupid, but it's, it's a problem that, that besets the most intelligent and most adept people on the planet. Okay, they, go, they come in and, okay, the, you know, the problem's misdiagnosed. And it's never framed in the right way with, uh, particularly I'm thinking of traditional tennis culture and the way it presents, you know, what, what are the problems and challenges that players face? So it's never framed in the right way. And we're not looking for problems that come directly from matches. And I think that's a point that's, that's always lost. We're looking for these problems that kind of exist in the abstract, like you've got this idea of this four, form, this form of the forehand that should exist. And that's, that doesn't kind of find its way into the match. Yeah. So we have to work on the, this abstract form of the forehand and it has to be this beautiful shot. And rather than going, well, this is what happened in the match. And we never look at the where and the how, how points are lost. We're not looking at specific trends or patterns that occur, because we, we, we haven't trained ourselves to do so. We're only looking at some events that happened in the match, like how did, the, how did this, this abstract form of the forehand, how did it happen in the match? What was happening with this, this thing? And we look at certain things like that forehand and, and not others. We look at the technique primarily. And we also tend to guess at the mental state of our player. and. What we do is develop a series of generalizations. So we kind of move from match to match and we work on problems that really they shouldn't be prioritized and they shouldn't be prioritized over what is occurring in the match. And there's a certain priority to looking at what's happening in a match. And we just don't do that. And that leads to even, I think, even more problems further down the road. Okay, I, I would have to agree with you on all of that. So the question then do I, I have now is what what do you think is being prioritized? I think, again, there are, there are three things. So there's technique, movement, and the emotional state. And the emotional state's often mistaken for the cognitive state and also kind of dominates what we might call the psychological aspect of, of tennis, the mental aspect. Okay, what people really talking about is the emotional state. And they're treated in, in the same way in any match. So they're kind of like three barometers that we're looking out for. Is the, did the techniques hold, hold out at this level? And did movement, did their movement, did it hold up to this? And did the emotional state, were they, you know, fighting all the way through? Okay, that's what I mean by they're treated in the same way. So they, they're, they're utilized in that way in each and every match. And what isn't being looked at is the detail and outcome of specific points. And I go further than that, actually, of specific shots. So we end up with these accounts of uh, how the forehand held up, how the mental state was. Was it good? You know, were they up or were they down, man? And well, how, how was their movement? Hmm. Yes, well, I thought it was like this, you know. And, but we get no real information or any clues about the decisions being made by the player. And that's a huge problem in itself. Absolutely. 
This is very interesting because I was watching the Australian Open uh, last night and exactly what you were saying right there is all I heard coming out of the commentary of the match. And I'm hoping that our coaching, we're not interpreting our coaching like that commentary because it's exactly what you described there. So in that case, what should the priority be? I think gathering as much specific information as we can about each point. That's each point that's being played and do that in the most detailed and accurate way possible. And if you're going to approach it that way, a requirement is that it's done throughout the whole match. Okay? That's the art of winning approach. That's what we do differently. Opinion and these three barometers of um, emotional state, technique, and movement, they can, you know, they phase in and out, our opinion. Oh, is it working now? And then we'll come back to something else. What we're doing is we're totally looking at the match as a whole. The data's not going to be useful if it's not the whole match. And every single, the sterling, isn't it, to every single shot, almost, in the, at least in the first strike zone, is being tracked. So the problem, and we're going to return, yeah, so we're returning to the problem again. The problem is that players and coaches will look at matches and they'll discuss the technique, the forehand, at a certain point in the match, how it was performing at a certain point in the match. Or I, I, I use the word of phase, right? So you go through phases. I'll look at the forehand now. How's that, how's that going? It's like checking the barometer. Then the match carries on for a while. And then, you know, he won't return to it again. And then other things will happen in the match that they notice and like pick up on certain things. Now, that's in total contrast to our analysis. And by that, I mean the art of winning, Sterling. Because uh, ours is total. It's totally every point. And it's every point that there isn't data, but that's what you need to make an accurate assessment of the reality of a match. So at a very basic level, we can see that what is happening shot to shot and point to point, but also we can we can detect error that way. The Greeks, no, sorry, I'm going to go, go off, slightly off, the, off the point. The Greeks noted this when writing was invented, okay? When, when things were written down, when arguments were written down, errors could be detected because you had the totality of the thing being written down. And a similar thing, a similar thing's happening here. Error can be detect, detected rather than sensed, hmm. okay? That's, that, that, that's, that's two different things that's happening <clears throat> with us. And, and the difference is, is profound difference between the two of them, mm-hmm. okay? Then, because we're able to study that data because there's no gaps and we're not studying some kind of um, epiphenomena like the forehand technique, okay? And that's a huge difference between traditional tennis culture and studying competitive intelligence with oh, winning data analytics. And the two, that leads to a situation where the problem can be properly diagnosed. That is really a great way to, to express that. I'm, I'm going to, I'm thinking back at the match that I was watching last night and this particular player, I'm not going to name any names, but um, it was a women's match and they went into the third set. Yeah. And the one of the players, which was not necessarily favored, went up 4-1 in the set, in the third set. And it's interesting because the commentators made a point that, oh, their forehand is really clicking tonight. 
you know, and they and they just started pointing out how how their forehand typically is their weakest shot. Their backhand was strong, always strong, but their forehand was clicking, and they sort of lent to the idea that that's why they were winning the the third set. Right? They went up, and then all of a sudden, something strange happened. You didn't hear the commentators talk about her forehand anymore because the other player started coming back and tied it up at four all, and. Well, I was I was doing some data, and then the other player ended up winning the third set six four. So basically, she reeled off five games in a row, and there was nothing mentioned again about her forehand throughout that whole process. The uh, about the player that was up four one that her forehand was now breaking down. That then none of that was mentioned. But what was actually happening as I tr- as I did the data is the player was missing returns R ones and S ones. Like constantly. And they were missing the boring bits, weren't they? They, they, <laughs> that's, that's, they weren't even getting through first strike phase of the point. And it had nothing to do with long rally. There were no long rallies in the third set, starting at 4-1. From here on out, it was just 1-2, 1-2-3, and that's it. And so I, I think that's a very interesting way you're approaching defining what the problem is. So I want to return to the original question once again. So what actually is the problem then if we're if we're misdiagnosing and we are emphasizing certain parts of the game over the sort of the strategic part of a player going through from point to point so what it, what is the problem i think the our problem is actually it's a challenge so it's actually a race and struggle and a challenge to provide as much detailed shot data as possible within the framework that data, the answer of winning data analytics provides. To provide a whole match worth of data, that's, that's the first problem because it's hard. Mm. Yeah? You and I have done this. I still, you know, it's, it's still a difficult thing to do. I'm going to mention this now before, before I forget because it occurred to me um, last night. The player who's playing the match and the person, not, maybe the parent or the coach who's watching it, they're kind of like doing do two different things. But when the coach is doing t- tennis data analytics, they're like that with the player. The player and the coach are experiencing, one seeing something, they're seeing it from different angles, but they're experiencing the same thing. Whereas when you've got opinion and then looking at these abstract things on the court, the player might be doing, the barometers of emotion technique, etc., it doesn't stick with the player. That you look at what happens often when coaches commentate on what, what happened in a player's match to the player. And I've seen some of this. I see it happen quite frequently. The player is like, I don't know what you're talking about. They don't say that, but there's that look in their eyes, isn't there? Have you seen it, Sterling? But then, yes. I, I, and it's kind of like, <clears throat> I, okay, I'm going to believe you in the same way as I maybe believe a priest or, you know, or, <laughs> or some some authority above me or a teacher who, you know, I, I believe you because you, you've got the authority as a coach, but I don't know what you're talking about. Yes. And that's, what, that's, that's where the, the data analytics literally allows them to have a dialogue because, for, because the reality that they're discussing is the one that both are experiencing through that, that, that data kind of connects them and allows them to have it. The other way is... I'm going to talk to you about what I've seen and, oh, okay, I'll listen down here, yeah, and take it. In. And, and because what here is here is subjective and what a 
But in answer to that, the, the problem question, it's that is a difficult process, though. Okay, you know, learning to play tennis and playing in the match is hard. Recording it is hard too. And because of that, because it's a challenge and because it's difficult, because it's an intellectual exercise, it brings you closer to the player who's having to fight out the match and train themselves. Okay, your commitment to this is, you know, I get players to do this as well. You mean recording? I know you do. I know you do this. Yes, get players to record intellectual cognitive exercise. In improvement, you are both part of this process, aren't you? I mean, you have, and, and if you are, right, you, you, you get other players to do it and they can, the, the, by, by, by a player looking at other players' data and doing it and learning this process themselves, they're able to be, um, they develop this consciousness so, that, so they're seeing what they need to understand about their own game and other players because you have to understand the other player. That's what it's about. You've got to beat them. They're your opponent. Do their data. So, yeah, I get them to do the match data too. And most of the time in tournaments, that process is done by parents. But the, the player needs to understand what's being done in their name, if you see what I mean. It's, it's being recorded and what the purpose of that recording of data is. Because they, the, look, the player is going to need to read that data if you really want them on site, if you really want to develop this dialogue. Otherwise, it's, oh, yeah, well, he's, he's writing on a bit of paper. Yeah comes up with some numbers. And we're back to that old traditional tennis coach relationship of coach speaking stuff. So they need to be able to at least read a momentum chart, I think. And they need to be able to read the end results of that data. So they need to be doing the, be able to do the detecting themselves. That's not an easy process. Not easy one for the coach and parent to learn it, the non-player to learn it, but the player to do it as well. And they start working together. But it's incredibly rewarding. So what I'm hearing you say here today is that we don't really understand what the problem is because we are not recording match data. And the match data is what basically gets the observer of the match, whether it be a parent or coach, on the same page as what the player you know, is actually experiencing. But even the player doesn't really understand. They don't understand how many necessarily how many shots the points actually lasting because they're so caught up in the in the doing and the comp- competitive part of play. And so does recording this data and then players and, and parents and coaches reading that data, does this allow us to progress to the second problem? Yeah, how it does. does. does that in happen? fact, I'd argue that it's the only route possible and proper detailed match long information that's the only way that we can attempt to address the second problem of what do we do about the problem once we've understood what that problem might be we don't quite know what the problems are yet because even if we've got an idea about uh, what the problem might be we need this second part okay we have the data we've identified we've identified certain specific things that we need to work on on the practice core so that's the question. Where do the understanding what the problem is and what we do about the problem, where do they work together, both one and two? So one is we need to get as much detail and information together so that, so that we're not guessing. I hate guessing. You know? Make guesswork your enemy. It should be at the very beginning of the process, not the process itself. Yeah, We're also not vulnerable 
to a kind of subjective tendencies that we have. We're not vulnerable to emotion when the when we're not vulnerable to the what what I've written about, particularly in the book on uh, what we call confirmation bias, where we read what what we see, we see what we want to see. Okay, we read into things what um, what we want to hear. So if we want to see that forehand breaking down, that's what we're going to see, and instances of it. And yeah, we see. So we're seeing the problem in advance in that way. And look, what we do is what what you and I have been doing is we see the problem in the last match, and then we progress to the next match, and we see how the problem. The, so if you've got a fixation on the forehand breaking down, as most people do in, in some form or another, what we do is we see right from one match, right the forehand it broke down in that one. Right, let's see how it performs in this match. Yeah. Off we go. And we're looking out. Okay. Well, it was better than the last one or it wasn't as good and so on. Now, let's see how it happens in the next one. So it's taken from match to match. And that's that's the first problem I described is you've got this idea in advance of what the problem is. I'm looking at the forehand, the forehand technique. We can all be actually, it's quite a comfortable way of doing things because we can bob on to eat. You know, there's always something you can do with the forehand. But you're missing everything else. You are missing everything else. You're missing the consequences of the shot, the effect on the opponent, and what is it you say? Hang on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, look, I'm gonna back into my encoded memory here, Sterling. Sterling's has said to me, "You, um, you get really hard on yourself on every point, don't you?" <laughs> Error is that it becomes an enemy, and you, you know, you're you're judging yourself on 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 every single thing, and that just turns you in on yourself. You know, no wonder we don't look up our opponent. We might think, oh, what did I do to my opponent with my great form? I think we need to offer a different way of, of, of carrying this technical obsession from match to match or this you know, psychological one. Did they break down? You know, did they give up or, or whatever from match to match? That's how I, I think we should progress from uh, one to two. So does understanding what the problem is, which is the number one problem, that were or the, the the first part of the problem. Does this have two parts as well? I think I think it does. I think it's got two parts in the sense that you've got to be able to overcome the problem of not having enough data and having the skills to record shot to shot data. In other words, you've got to be able to do it. You've got to be able to do do um, tennis data analytics, and you need to organise it as you go through the match and do it for the whole match. And that's problem number one of this first stage. Number two is going, you know, you need to identify then the areas you know which need work for the player because, and that's that's a real subtle thing, that's detective work. So you've got two problems there, you've got two challenges, you've got to record the thing, yeah? Tennis data analytics by Sterling Strother and the art of winning is a massive help in, in that. In fact, it's not possible without it, I'd argue. You're just doing some stuff. And it won't be shot by shot throughout the whole match. You won't have a whole picture. You'll have snapshots of what you want to see and talk about. Uh, look, there are going to be clues as well. The more data you have, the more fingerprints you have, the more, and the more you have, the more likely you are to make an accurate assessment of where improvements can be made. Okay, so looking at the second half of the problem, which is identifying what needs to be improved. You need to make your own judgment call about what happens on the practice court. Is that is that right? Do I have that right? Yes, that's right. The better you become at recording match data, 
then you stand a much better chance of identifying what needs to be addressed in order to win this, to win on the, the tennis is a fine margin, man. Okay, you do not, it's not, you're not going to avalanche. There's not an avalanche of points coming your way. You know, there's going to be, the match is going to be decided on that, that fine margin. And matches are close. You need the numbers to understand what's been happening in a close in, in a match, in a close match. You're playing your peers all the time. I'm not going to be playing Djokovic anytime soon. So we're not going to be recording this, you know, Djokovic is on, you know, 89% of points if I'm lucky. Yeah. You're going to be playing peers where it's 50 peers, and that's not peers as in your son, but your peer group. And look, it's it's close. You need these numbers. That's why you need them. Not easy to spot. The practice court then becomes a centre of prioritising what's been happening and what needs to happen moving forward. And this will include the competitive intelligence games and also not just playing these competitive intelligence games, right? When I do my my coach training and, and you go and you see a lot of stuff that's produced by the governing bodies and the the organisations, they've got these games. They, they're, not, they're not that short of them. I'll try this. But they're always like standalones, like just go and try this. Well, why? Why would I try this particular game right now? Right? There's just no context to it. There's no relation to data. Why am I doing this practice? What they want to do is like try this practice because it's there. You know, you you can do it and it makes them look good because they come up with a, a good and interesting, fun game. But with no context, you might as well, you might as well just play a match, to be honest. You know, that, that would be of more value to you. But, I mean, you, you agree with that. Do you see that problem with the, with the coaching, Sterling? I mean, it's just like, oh, we're going to play this game now. Yeah, well, I mean, the competitive intelligence games that, that we have here at The Art of Winning, they were created out of the data. They were created because of the data. They weren't just created because we came up with a clever idea of maybe how to get players to develop their strokes better or their back end better or their attacking yeah. skills or recognition skills and things like that. So, But here's your genius, right? Here's your genius. I'm going to credit you with this because it is your genius. It comes from the data but goes back into the data in this, impro- this spiral of improvement, doesn't it? Because it comes, it's born of the data, goes back into the match with new data. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it was meant to do. So... Uh, I'm so glad somebody's recognizing this. So, this is good. So, Dan, can you then did describe for us the third phase of the problem, which is the upward spiral? Yeah. Well, I'm going to attempt to. And initially, we thought of this process of match data going in, so it goes like this: it goes in a line, a straight line. So it goes. I got match, match data, practice call. Match again, more data, practice score. So, yeah, so you see it goes that, that stream there. And that's fine. That, that, that's true. That's what happens on, on that level. But what I wanted to integrate in, into this concept, this upward spiral concept, it doesn't, it doesn't go linear. We're improving. So what happens is we move up because what, we understand certain problems that need to be addressed. Here's quite a subtle point. When, when you are overcoming a problem, let's say you're, it's the, you're giving away love, the love thirsty position too often, right? And, you know, you've used your tennis data analytics, you, you've identified that. That problem is perennial. It's not going away just because you understand it now. 
but you develop tools to one recognize what that problem is as a player when it's occurring and how do you deal with that you deal with that because you recall because you've rehearsed this on the practice court because you've identified it okay what you're not doing and this is a big flaw i think of traditional tennis culture and its coaching is oh we've dealt with that now and the assumption is it's never going to happen again. And you see coaches go, oh, do you remember back in um, February 2019, we discussed this, the art of winning games, keep it. Once it's in the spiral, it doesn't say it goes away. It's going to come back again, but we have the tools to deal with it. And we're going to be able to deal, deal with it in a better and more sophisticated and expanded way. And we're also going to deal with it in relation to other shot-based challenges, not just point-based challenges, like giving away love 30s. Okay, so you've got this more, that's the growth of competitive intelligence, if you like. That's the upward spiral, okay? You need these problems, these challenges to improve. That's a really important point. People like to envisage problems. They don't like the idea of having problems. You say to them, we go, oh, I don't like, you know, oh, stressful, okay? They don't realise how powerful problems are. They propel you upwards by, you know, by dealing with them and having the capacities to do so. If we do this right, we're prioritising replacing, well, not replacing, but adding to one area of improvement with another. Because the area of improvement that we're addressing in the first round of data, it's going to be remedied. And it's remedied because, oh, what is it, the, um, that beautiful quote from... Um, the congruent guys in Georgia, God bless them. Hopefully we're going to be talking to them more. He said it's the antidote, but you're going to be bitten by a snake again, right? You know, this is not a vaccine. It's, it's an antidote against the, the problem, but you've got that with you now. Very powerful stuff, that one, okay? And look, you're going to, you will be giving away love 30s. Hopefully not to, you know, to be conscious of, the, of that working against you. Does that make sense to you, Sterling, on the upward spiral? I hope that oh, I'm not being being too abstract there, but yeah, there's no, that issue with the problem avoidance. And traditionally, they'll go, "Oh, let's do this," and then it, you know, we don't refer to it ever again. That's not the purpose of the exercise, right? I mean, that's uh, going back to the Love Thirty example. You know, the whole this this CI game that was created was called Wake Up, and so as you play Wake Up, which is if you lose one of the first, or sorry, if you lose both of the first two points of the game, you lose the game. That's the that's the point of the game. So you focus on winning one of the first two points. And so if you recognize the fact that you're going down love 30 a lot, then yeah. you go to the practice court and you work on, you play wake up. And what it does is it helps you sort of program yourself to, to be more intentional, more focused on the first the first two points so that you can get at least one of them. And so as you begin to play that, it, it is, I can see it now as you describe it, it is an upward spiral of improvement. It's an upward spiral of dealing with that perennial problem of you. there's a chance you can go down love 30 and it's probably not the last time you're going to go down love 30 as long as you continue to play the game because you're going to play more difficult opponents and you're going to be rising in the ranks. So you are going to play higher level players as you move on in your tennis journey. So. But that's why I think it's a great way to describe it is that it's a, it's an, you're trying to move in a upward or positive improvement uh, or way of improvement, right? So 
Why have you actually called it, though, an upward spiral? I think that's interesting. Instead of just looking at it linear, linear like the improvement being linear like yeah. from, from practice court to match, to practice court, but this sort of upward spiral look. I like, I like to think it's because tennis can be sometimes seen as quite a flat game. You know, we've got that court there, <laughs> ball out and, it's, and then we visualize it like this. Because I think in answer to your question, why is it an upward spiral? Because you're developing the cognitive tools to deal with the problems as a player. You're able to recognize these by yourself in a match. And before, you, you, you were not able to do that. Okay, that's the, that's the upward spiral bit. So you're moving from guesswork and hope to something more, more powerful. And if you're giving away too many love 30 positions, that's going to cause a problem. Most players, and even players up to a very high level, don't understand that concept or that aspect of data. So the upward spiral is about getting or gathering a series of, of capabilities so you don't lose these capabilities. All right? that's, that's a capability in itself. It's gathering the capabilities together is a capability. <laughs> and they're permanent. Okay, so is this where strong problem framing comes in at this point? Yeah, that's like, this is actually what strong problem framing is. The, the strong problem framing is the antidote to the general, generalizations of traditional tennis culture and its habit of reproducing opinion and subjective emotional responses and passing that off as proper analysis or proper coaching. Strong problem framing is such a powerful way of becoming better at anything. Otherwise, your approach is always kind of accidental. And strong problem framing allows you to make specific, deliberate, ordered attempt to improve. But some people that they, they, they do, they do have a, a natural ability, a capacity to do things better and do it, do it instinctively. So there's the strong problem framing is internalized in a lot of people, and that's, that's fine. And maybe strong problem framing for your player, maybe not, not always is the right thing to do, but that in itself is strong problem framing. I got it. Okay. Why, if I go, there are some players I know who's going to respond to it immediately. Yeah, I've got that. We need to, we need to start doing X, Y, Z. But a strong problem frame, it's like, well, what, what do we do here? We're constantly asking that question, looking at the context. Okay. So can you summarize what needs to be addressed in the, and how it's to be addressed in the right way? Because we, we've talked about strong from problem framing. I think of a frame, like a frame around a picture. Yeah. You know, when you think about framing something out or we're putting it into context. So can you can you summarize all of this for us? Yeah, you want to be able to develop the skill of spec- being able to specify exactly where errors occur. Not guess, not assume, but know where those errors occur. This includes when errors occur within the point and within the game. Sort of difference between the two. They work together. But they need to be, if you're going to strong problem frame within the tennis match, that's what you need to be able to do. So within the point with the shots, uh, within the game with the points. So also we have we have shot error and point error in that sense. We need as clear a picture as possible to take to the to the practice court. Here it is. 
as the spiral goes up, the spiral does upward spiral doesn't just refer to the player, it refers to the person taking the data, the coach. You're both on the upward spiral. We need to know when and where um, errors occur in both shots and points. So where in the rally and where in the game. Uh, stage two, and this is a sterling innovation, selecting the correct competitive intelligence games for rehearsal on the practice court. And stage two is very much about getting into the cycle of match, data, practice court, and CGI games. So practice court and CGI games framed on on the court. Then we're going back to the match. But that's the circular process that's going on. Okay, so what I'm hearing you say is that we have to identify when the error occurred in the point so, for example, it happened on the first shot after the serve or the second shot after the return, and then maybe where it happened on the court, we can identify that. And then we can start to look at, okay, this is the backhand when I was moving out of my return from deuce or add. So also identifying once you have the data and you start to see some pro- the problems of when the point's ending, then you can match the CI, CIG games to where how you've identified the, the problem, okay? So and then you can start to get into some details there. But what I'm hearing you say today is there has to be a strong problem framing aspect to identifying error. It can't just be based on someone's opinion about what they saw or maybe what they remembered. And it's got to be more specific than just maybe just making notes like they missed the forehand or they missed the volley in this point, or they need to improve their second serve percentage, if you will. So I appreciate it, Dan. That was awesome. Um, We will definitely continue to expand on this problem that we have of identification, prioritizing, so that we can develop a stronger and more effective practice court to create this upward spiral of improvement. So thanks again, Dan. Thank you.